Kleshindra Hall, known to her tight-knit family, friends, and church congregation as Clea, was intelligent, nurturing, and invested in building relationships with the youth around her. Her deep-rooted connection with children and educating young minds, as well as her passion for medicine and constant learning, was cut short by an unexplainable, unsolved disappearance in the evening hours of May 9th, 1994, leaving all who knew her across Pine Bluff, Arkansas, and the entire state at large grasping for answers in a sea of evidence that drowned us all in doubt. As a hope to provide more substantial reasoning built upon observable evidence and situational analysis, this is an examination of the disappearance of Clear Hall and the suspicious circumstances at the home office of her mysterious employer near the 5300 block of Fawcett Road. This is Cold Case Detective. Clear Hall was born on March 30th, 1976, to parents Willie and Laurel Hall in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. From an early age, Clear showed a keen interest in fostering relationships with her generation and found a deep love of learning. She absorbed information voraciously, constantly yearning for more and growing as an individual. As she became a teenager, Clear found more specific hobbies in both reading and medicine. She was a bookworm, always seeking out new stories to escape with and to gain insight into society through the power of literature. Her parents also described Clear as having a gift in helping children, always interacting with the youth both at church and around the Pine Bluff community. On weekends, Clear would always babysit children around the neighborhood and volunteer in the nursery, working with infants and toddlers at their local church. Her mother tells everyone how much Clear displayed a deep love for children and how she had a very natural understanding of how to bond with kids. It was as if Clear was magnetized to cultivating the imaginations of youth, preparing their own journeys into the world as they aged and entered society themselves. So, while Clear wasn't the most sociable person, she held a perfect balance in spending precious time with the kids of Pine Bluff, as well as fostering her own relationships with friends at school and in recreation. By the time Clear entered her senior year of high school, she knew exactly what she wanted to do for her post-grad plan. She had dreams of studying medicine at a university and becoming a pediatrician combining her skills in a perfect marriage of healthcare and youth interaction. She was also active in extracurricular activities at the same time, a proud member of the Beta Club and various volunteer efforts. Clear also had received an incredible opportunity to intern with a pediatrician's office in Boston, Massachusetts later that summer, a chance to attain hands-on experience in her field of choice before enrolling in pre-medical courses at Tennessee State in the fall of 1994. To celebrate Clear's outstanding merits and honorable time as one of the leaders of her class, she was voted to give the commencement speech at her school graduation. She was ecstatic, taking in every moment, looking forward to senior prom and ending the year with a bang. Everything was working out beautifully. 
A few months prior, however, Clear had realized she needed some extra money to save up for her summer position in Boston and then for college in the autumn. One of her friends had employment along with their sister at the home office of a local Pine Bluff resident by the name of Dr. Larry Amos. Dr. Amos was involved with non-profit charitable work supporting in-home daycare centers and hired the young ladies to perform clerical work, an easy gig for a high schooler looking for a somewhat professional opportunity. Clea made a deal with her parents that she wouldn't let the job interfere with her schoolwork or church endeavors, and they allowed her to take the position. The office was only a few blocks away from home, and Clea only had to work weekends and a few weeknights after school, from which Clea's mother Laurel would drop off and pick up her daughter. It was all smooth sailing at Dr. Amos's residence, until the evening of May 9th, 1994, when Clea never made the final phone call home and seemingly disappeared into the night. Her unbelievable potential and bright future whisked away into the darkness. Let's now turn to a timeline of the events leading up to Clea's disappearance. A few months before her high school graduation, Clea Hall is approached by two friends who are looking for their replacement at a local non-profit organization doing clerical work. The office, located at Dr. Larry Amos's home, is only a few blocks from the Hall residence, and she begins working after permission is granted by her parents. As the months tick by through the spring of 1994, Clear fits right in with her new employment. She makes a deal with her mother that she'll call each night she works to arrange a ride and avoid walking alone in the dark streets of the Pine Bluff suburbs. Sometime in April of 1994, Clear is dropped off at work by an older male friend named Scott Walker. Upon Scott's arrival, Clear's boss approaches and explains to Scott that courting is not allowed on his property. Clear explains to Dr. Amos that Scott is nothing more than a friend and the two aren't dating. Scott leaves soon after the confrontation ends. In the early afternoon hours of May 9th, 1994, Clear gets out of school a little earlier than usual and decides she wants to go to work early that evening to make some extra money. When she gets home a few minutes later, Clear takes a nap to re-energize in preparation. Just before 5pm, Mrs. Amos calls the hall residence and informs Clear that they are ready to begin work for the evening. Clear quickly gets ready, but leaves behind her purse and ID. A few minutes after 5pm, Laura Hall drops her daughter off at the Amos residence. Over the next three hours, everything goes about as normal as a Monday night would. At around 8pm, Clear makes her usual phone call home to her mother. Laurel answers, and Clear informs her that she will be working a little later than usual, aiming for a 9.30pm finish time. Clear then says she will call again when she's ready for a ride, and the phone conversation ends. A little prior to 8.30pm, another employee at the Amos residence asks Clear if she needs a ride home that night. Clear politely declines, stating she plans to walk home instead. Mere moments pass, and Clear's co-worker leaves the home office. At 8.30pm, Clear prepares to leave for the night and signs the timesheets to clock out. Dr. Amos will later tell detectives that Cleo leaves and gets in a car with an unidentified person. This would be the last sighting of Clashindra Hall. Meanwhile, at the Hall household, Laurel falls asleep while waiting for her daughter's call. 
After the clock strikes midnight, Clear's father, Willie Hall, returns home from work to find Clear absent. He wakes his wife, and she informs him that she never received that second call from Clear. At 12.45am, Laurel telephones Dr. Amos. Dr. Amos picks up after only one ring, and informs Laurel that Clear left his house at 8.30pm when the mystery car picked her up. Both of Clear's parents feel uneasy, as a car ride between their home and Dr. Amos's office would only take a couple of minutes. Laurel immediately phones the Pine Bluff police, who inform her that because Clear recently turned 18, she is a legal adult and thus 24 hours must pass before an official missing persons report can be filed. Taking matters into their own hands, Laurel and Willie visit Scott Walker early the next morning, on Tuesday, May 10th. They had always felt a bit uneasy with Scott, who was 23 years old and in the Army Reserves, a drastic age and lifestyle difference to their daughter. However, Scott tells the couple that he never picked up Clear the night before, and has no clue as to where she could be. Later that night, after the 24-hour waiting period expires, the Pine Bluff Police Department begin their search for Clear. They also target Scott Walker, and do a quick search of his residence. Soon after, they twist a traffic stop in an excuse to search his vehicle, again finding nothing. Scott even agrees to a polygraph test, the results coming back as inconclusive. Unable to find any evidence Scott made contact with Clear on May 9th, they quickly move on. The next day, Wednesday, May 11th, Dr. Larry Amos leaves the state of Arkansas for a trip to Dallas, Texas, where he claims he is buying tanning salon equipment for a planned future business, despite the ongoing investigation into Clear's disappearance. While the doctor is away in Texas, the Pine Bluff PD take the opportunity to carry out an unofficial search of the Amos household and Clear's office above the garage. Mrs. Amos answers all of their questions and takes them on a tour. The police figure, if Clear did indeed schedule an unknown ride home with someone, she might have called them on the office phone before she left. They click the redial button, and someone on the other line, calling themselves Smith, picks up. However, it leads absolutely nowhere in the search. On Thursday, May 13th, Dr. Amos returns to Pine Bluff. He goes into the police station to make an official statement, but tells investigators if they want to speak to him further, they would need to contact his lawyer. On Friday, May 14th, Dr. Amos visits Clear's parents at their home. He hands Laurel a piece of paper with a phone number written on it, telling her he doesn't recognize it, but that the police gave it to him, saying it was the last number dialed on his office phone. Laurel then calls the number and finds it belongs to the babysitter of the Amos children. However, how this connects with Clear's case has never been clarified by investigators. Within the next two weeks of May 1994, the Pine Bluff police attempt to perform another unofficial sweep of Dr. Amos's house, but only get through part of the residence before he tells them to leave. In the following months, Dr. Amos cuts off all contact with the whole family, and distances himself from the search for Clear. Sometime later that year, Laurel Hall has a dream about her still-missing daughter, vividly seeing her tied up in a bathtub trapped in the home of Dr. Amos. She believes this is significant. For the better part of 18 years, law enforcement finds hardly any clues that might lead to Clear's whereabouts, and the investigation hits a frozen dead end. However, in early 2012, the television program called Find Our Missing 
decided to pursue the Clashindra Hall case, and visited Pine Bluff as a part of their own research. Whilst in town, they interviewed two witnesses who had performed renovation work on the home office property of Dr. Larry Amos soon after Clea vanished. One of the labourers said he thought he saw blood traces on insulation inside of the house. The other labourer remarked of a foul stench emanating from the ground in the backyard while he was pouring cement. These testimonies reignited the official investigation, and on Thursday, March 19th, 2012, police secure an official search warrant to comb through the Amos property. They do not dig up the backyard where the smell was reported, however, they do find four pieces of potential evidence from the west wall in the home's living room. They supposedly ship it off to the Arkansas State Crime Lab for forensic diagnostics. A month and a half later, on Monday, May 7th, the Pine Bluff Police Chief addresses the City Council during a meeting and is met with questions regarding the new leads in Clear's case. The Chief states that his department calls the crime lab once a week, inquiring about updates, but they couldn't do anything further until the tests have been completed. The following day, on Tuesday, May 8th, the Arkansas State Crime Lab releases a statement exposing the Pine Bluff Police Department, highlighting the fact that they had never received any pieces of evidence from the Pine Bluff PD at all. Pine Bluff Police quickly follow the exposure with a statement of their own, admitting that their crime scene technician forgot to actually send the samples. A month later, after the crime lab finally processes the evidence, all four samples test negative for blood, and investigators are left back where they started. In the eight years since this development, authorities have yet to receive anything substantial in their efforts to find Clashindra Hall, and the case grows cold once more. On the night Clear Hall went missing, between the times of 8 and 8.30pm, three people either interacted with Clear directly or made a mental note of her departure plans from work that evening. However, none of the three stories line up or correlate with one another. These testimonies, from the mouths of Laurel Hall, an unidentified co-worker of Clear, and Dr. Larry Amos, create an impossible web of conflicting memories and false truths. Between them and Clear herself, one of them has to have been lying about exactly what Clear did or was going to do in the moments leading up to her disappearance. The instant we learn which one was lying is the instant we get the biggest break in the case yet. Let's look at why it's impossible for all four people involved to be telling the truth. First, Clear tells her mother that she is working later than normal, but will call again for a ride. Then she tells her co-worker that she doesn't need a ride because she's planning on walking home instead. Then Dr. Amos hears Clear leave and later reports she got in a car with an unidentified driver. So, who is telling the truth? Did Laurel misunderstand her daughter? And did Clear ever actually inform her mother that she was going to get a ride? Did Clear lie to either Laurel or her co-worker, maybe planning a ride with someone she wanted to keep secret from both of them, and thus fibbing to each? Did the co-worker lie about what Clear said to them, and knows more about what happened to Clear than she is letting on? And ultimately, did Dr. Amos lie about seeing Clear get into a car with another person at 8.30pm? 
It is hard to believe that Laurel Hall would repeatedly lie to both police and reporters about what her daughter told her the last time the two ever spoke. It would also be very out of character for Clea to go behind her parents' back and keep another hidden life away from her family and friends. While everything must be considered at this point, the truth is that the major breaking point in the entire case exists somewhere in the heart of one of these four testimonies. And until the truth can be unraveled, it is almost certainly going to be impossible for justice to be carried out. Let's now examine the most prominent theories attempting to make sense of the disappearance of Clashindra Hall. The very first theory extended by the Pine Bluff Police Department was that Claire had run away because she was pregnant and afraid to confront either of her parents about it. They figured this was why she had never called her parents again, nor told any of her close friends about it, as if she was self-shamed into secrecy. However, this theory has a myriad of issues, the biggest being how unlikely it was to even occur. Laurel Hall was quick to inform police that Clear was on birth control via an implantable contraceptive in her upper arm. Now, while birth control does not have a 100% success rate, the minuscule odds combined with Clear's determined focus on academics made it seem very unlikely she would fall pregnant. And if that was the reason she ran away, she would have eventually entered a situation where she needed medical attention to attend to her pregnancy, certainly providing an opportunity for her identification somewhere down the line. So, if this wasn't the result of a pregnancy, why else would Clear run away of her own volition? It is truly hard to say. Remember, both Clear's immediate and distant future were full of promise, and she often spoke of how excited she was looking forward to everything she had in store. She had an internship in Boston she was prepping for, an incredible chance to launch her dream career at a very young age. She was also on a scholarship for Tennessee State University to study medicine, her lifelong passion, and she took in her stride major events happening in high school, such as the prom and speaking at the commencement ceremony. This all feels like so much to throw away for an aspiring pediatrician, let alone a model citizen and student and example for youth all around Pine Bluff. The whispers and rumors that Clear was secretly unhappy with her life hold zero weight. There were no hidden diaries with entries fantasizing a spontaneous getaway and no secret lover she had plans to escape with. There was absolutely no pattern of abuse or misbehavior to inspire such rash decision-making, and Clear was aware of her own potential. Skeptics like to point to the fact that she had just turned 18 and was strategically waiting to be an adult to remove some of the barriers being a minor creates, and that she might have known that missing persons cases are treated with less haste when it involves a legal adult rather than a legal child. However, I want to remind those still questioning the runaway theories that Clear left behind her purse, all of her belongings, and her ID when she went to work on May 9th, preparing to go only to her job and nowhere else that evening. Now, certainly this isn't solid proof, but it is an action incredibly uncharacteristic with other runaway teenage cases. So, if Clear didn't run away, someone must have taken her. This leads us to the next batch of theories focusing on who could have done this. Like Clear's parents, the first suspect targeted by police was Scott Walker. 
It should be mentioned that Scott was quickly ruled out and doesn't need a whole lot of inspection. Those who think Scott might know more than he lets on point to the semi-secretive relationship he had with Clear. He was five years older than her and already had a career started, spending time in the army reserves. They thought his presence in Clear's life was suspicious, but he had the full trust of Laurel and Willie Hall, who were protective in their own right and wouldn't let Clear form a close bond with someone they didn't feel would keep it to a friendship. The theorists, with their doubts, then remark on Scott's inconclusive polygraph test results, but keep in mind that lie detector tests are very unreliable and an inconclusive reading is not an indication of guilt. The fact remains that Scott Walker complied with every step of the investigation, putting up with racist traffic stop tactics and allowing police to repeatedly search his personal belongings. Not a shred of evidence was ever attributed to Scott's profile, and while he never spoke about the case publicly, he eventually moved out of Pine Bluff to start a family of his own, in peace and out of unjustified prying eyes. Other than Scott, the only other prime suspect police or investigators ever really spent time analyzing was Dr. Larry Amos. He was, after all, the last person to have seen Clear if his testimony is true. There are many red flags in Dr. Amos's profile, and while most are coincidental without forensic evidence, they certainly warrant a deeper dive into his character. First was his behavior prior to Clear's vanishing. There was a known instance of Dr. Amos showing displeasure with Clear and her relationship with Scott Walker. A friend dropping off another friend at work shouldn't really turn any heads, yet Dr. Amos went out of his way to contact Scott and try and push him away from his property. It reeks of jealousy and reflects a bizarre protective aura he had over Clear. Could he just have been weary of Clear involving herself with an older male? Perhaps, but it doesn't excuse nor necessitate a blunt, confrontational approach. Secondly, Dr. Amos's behavior following the disappearance was equally suspicious. Barely 24 hours after Clear went missing, Dr. Amos left the state of Arkansas for, quote, business. Instead of assisting the initial investigation or helping aid in the search, Dr. Amos decided that buying saloon tanning equipment was more important. It has been reported since the case opened that the company he bought the equipment from had declared bankruptcy, which meant the transaction could only be done with cash. Taking this into consideration, it might have made more sense for the doctor to just wire the money if the purchase was that dire. It apparently wasn't dire, however, as he never opened up the planned business, nor did anyone ever witness the hefty tanning equipment get delivered to his residence. Some theorists speculate that the trip to Dallas could have been for another reason. They note that Texas is an enormous state filled with stretches of desert and abandoned wilderness, the perfect hiding place for evidence or anything incriminating. Theorists wonder if the doctor killed Clear himself, and then took her body and buried it away from Pine Bluff. Others think that even if Dr. Amos simply kidnapped Clear, he could have passed her along to someone else across state borders and not be the sole perpetrator. Some even think Dr. Amos used the trip as a head start on his own runaway attempt, just in case the police found something incriminating against him in their initial efforts. When Dr. Amos did return to Pine Bluff free of any charges, he still didn't do himself any favors. His official statement to police was simple, that he didn't know anything pertinent, and if they wanted to speak to him further, they would need to contact his lawyer. 
Of course, this is not proof of anything, and is actually very common in all criminal investigations, but it still follows up his drastic fleeing of the city with eyebrow-raising behaviour. In addition, the stories he did tell about the police varied in details. In one rendition, he said he never actually saw Clear leave, but rather he heard the front door and garage door close at around 8.30pm. Then, in the second story, he says how he saw her holding a peach pop by the window, and getting into an unidentified vehicle. These discrepancies were never explained, so who knows which one is true, if either one is true at all. After the conflicting statements came other strange behaviours from Dr. Amos in town. It wasn't that Dr. Amos was just avoiding the investigation, but it appeared that he was actively sabotaging it. Clear's father, Willie Hall, witnessed Dr. Amos removing the missing person flyers posted around Pine Bluff to bring awareness to Clear's case. At first, people didn't view it as more than a man concerned that the address of his business being on a major missing persons case would reflect poorly on his professional career, fearful that it would instigate an unfair bias. However, another Pine Bluff resident said Dr. Amos went out of his way to hire her son to take down the posters for him, suggesting that the scheme ran much deeper than a businessman protecting his own life's work. Even if this simple explanation is the case, hampering a missing persons investigation to protect your own business is an appalling and selfish course of action to take. Not only this, but Dr. Amos also moved out of the home office just a couple of years after Clear's disappearance. He owned another property and made that his main residence. That is until 2012, when police searched the first home, found nothing suggestive, and Dr. Amos moved back in immediately afterwards. So, what was happening at the house between 1994 and 2012? Well, as a matter of fact, it was nine renovations in an 18-year period, an abnormal number for any house that included multiple instances of strange activity, such as the foul smell coming from the back of the house, experienced by one of the renovation labourers. Theorists are quick to claim that it must have been Clear's body creating the odour, buried beneath the property. Frustrated that, for whatever reason, the backyard was never properly excavated during the 2012 search. However, if Dr. Amos hid clear underground at his own home, it wouldn't make sense to leave it there unobserved in the two days following her disappearance, let alone for the years that followed, considering he knew he was a target. In 2008, Dr. Amos came under fire once more for breaking conflict of interest limitations with his non-profit organisation called Progressive Southeast Arkansas Housing Development Cooperation. He had sold a house built from federal grant money to his own daughter on a nice discount, while at the same time, other homes and apartments built by the organisation were poorly constructed, abandoned by planners, or flat out forgotten. In 2009, Dr. Amos had to pay damages to a few unfortunate homeowners after courts ruled him guilty in the case. Of all of Dr. Amos's shady business dealings and inactions though, the piece of the puzzle that doesn't fit right with us is the phone number he left to Laurel and Willie Hall after returning from Dallas. He tells Laurel that he doesn't recognise the number and that the police gave it to him after redialing his office telephone, but Laurel discovers it's the number belonging to Dr. Amos's babysitter for him and his wife's children. How would he not recognise the number of his children's caretaker, and why would he deliver it personally to Laurel Hall in such a pervasive manner? Some followers of the case wonder if Dr. Amos had called the babysitter the night Clear went missing to ask if his children could stay the night, 
But if that's the case, for what reason? Both Dr. Amos and his wife were home the entire time, and even she can't provide clarity on the issue, as Dr. Amos always made sure the detectives had trouble interviewing his wife and always threatened legal action against the police, going as far as to file a lawsuit against one of the lead investigators. It made the Pine Bluff PD wary in pushing leads and going hard after the Amos family, which is why so many of these peculiar instances have been left unanswered. Could Dr. Amos be innocent? Absolutely. Could Dr. Amos also have convinced his former co-workers to entice Clear to work for him because he held an infatuation with her that turned sour and then deadly when she didn't reciprocate? It is also possible. In a case without many theories, it is difficult to ignore the Dr. Larry Amos situation, as coincidental and circumstantial as it may be. Before we divulge our hypothesis of Clear Hall's unsolved disappearance, we want to make it known that our conclusions presented in the Cold Case Detective podcast are purely logical speculation based on evidence, circumstance, and factual subtext. We are only privy to the same information presented in each video, and we do not attempt to promise certainty or an expert guarantee on the findings we reach in closing. We simply observe, research, and report. While the list of suspects and chain of theories is quite short, we do believe that while he may not be the kidnapper or murderer himself, Dr. Larry Amos knows more than he is letting on. Whether he hired someone to kidnap Clea, knew the person that drove the car she got into that night, hid her from his wife and took her away to someone else the day he travelled from Pine Bluff, or murdered her and disposed of the evidence in the following days, Dr. Amos has to have the vital piece of evidence or strain of knowledge hidden away. Until he makes some effort to cooperate with the police on a consistent basis, or explain all of the suspicious behaviour muddying his profile, there's simply too many holes to ignore. Of course, there is no hard evidence or forensic clues, but without a single eyewitness testimony seeing Clear leave the 5300 block of Fawcett Road or get into a vehicle around Dr. Amos's home, there seems to be no proof that Clear left the office on the night of May 9th. All this being said, it should be noted that the Hall family has never accused Dr. Amos outright of being involved, but they have also been displeased with his lack of efforts to prove his innocence. Because of the lack of fingerprints or DNA strands or CCTV footage, an answer to Clear's frustrating mystery is probably going to come in the form of a renewed testimony in the form of someone coming forward with information police haven't yet received, perhaps a vital account of what really happened that spring evening. Until then, the most we can do is broadcast the story of Clea and bring awareness of her life. It is often stated, and yet to be corrected, that missing black women receive little to no publicity or media attention compared to other victims of unsolved disappearances. It is a shameful fact that in today's day and age, non-white women are forgotten about and ignored by both police and the media due to the colour of their skin. The inaction and passivity of the police in this case is deeply troubling and frustrating. All we can do is fight to reverse the trend and give Clear and other black women the spotlights their cases deserve. We are all human and we all deserve justice when moments of injustice befall us. 
Thus, we will not forget who Clea was. She was an aspiring paediatrician who, beyond a doubt, would have made a wonderful impact on her future patients and their communities, just like the one she made on Pine Bluff, Arkansas. She will be remembered not for vanishing into the night in May of 1994, but for her bravery in fighting for her dreams when the odds weren't in her favour. She will be remembered for her unparalleled intelligence and compassionate heart, for her unrelenting courage and devotion for helping those in need. She will be remembered for not simply doing what was asked of her, but going out of her way to acknowledge the youth and the forgotten when no one else was looking to be a role model and a leader, not for personal benefit, but because there were those who needed her. Clashindra Hall was taken from her family's lives on that mysterious night in May, but we must all pursue answers and fight for her discovery, in the hope that one day she will be missing no more. This is Cold Case Detective. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cold Case Detective podcast. Should you wish to delve deeper into the mystery, you can follow the case file link included in the show notes, which contains important photographs, documents, maps, and further reading relevant to the case. If you would like to support the show, you can do so by leaving a five-star rating wherever you listen. It really helps us expand our reach and bring awareness to the cases we cover. If you would like us to investigate a specific case, perhaps even one close to home or that of a loved one, please fill out the submission form in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode.